to the Young Baptist Podcast, a podcast committed to the centrality of the gospel and to encouraging believers to be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. This is Clay. I'm here today with Josh. How's it going, man? Going well. Good morning, Clay. How are you this morning? I'm good, man. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. We've got uh, outreach for our church coming up here in a little bit, and so we decided to come in early and uh, and hit it. That's right. Do you feel older? I feel the same. I Folks, feel the he same. is not the same. Josh Johnson <laughs> turned 30 years old. I did. I'm, which I'm, which gives us a little bit of an identity crisis as a podcast. Yeah, we're not young anymore. Yeah, we... <laughs> we're, we're old men now. As a matter of fact, we need your help. Why don't you send us listeners, valued listeners, please help us out with this. What is our rebrand? Yeah. If we're not the Young Baptist Podcast, because Josh is now 30... What are we? Are we the middle-aged Baptist podcast? That doesn't, have just, a, that doesn't have a ring to it. We can't just call ourselves the Baptist podcast because I'm sure there's somebody that already did that. So send us a message on social media or something. <laughs> Is and, that a little presumptuous us, anyway, to say we are the Baptist podcast? No, not presumptuous at all. We are the Baptist <laughs> People podcast. People do understand that we're basically the the unquestioned. We are the flagship Baptist podcast of all Baptist we are, podcasts. We're the go-to. JD's Ask Me, Any, like Ask Me Anything podcast, That's that's okay. <laughs> who's JD? JD Greer. <laughs> yeah, who's who's that? I've never heard of him. Yeah, he's got a he's a decent podcast. He's a pastor. You may have heard of him, maybe not, but there actually isn't a podcast called The Baptist Podcast. Nobody's that presumptuous. So Josh. we should just take it, man. <laughs> you just when you search the Baptist Podcast, it's all a bunch of like churches and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's what you get when you search the Young Baptist Podcast too. It does in those results is a lot of churches. Hey, what do you guys think? What should our name be? Give us a, give us some alternatives. We're sort of joking, sort of not about actually rebranding. We're still the Young Baptist Podcast, but I would love to hear your names. Yeah. What should we be called? Yeah, bring it. Let's hear it. It doesn't mean we're <laughs> going to do it, but we'd love to hear it. If it's good enough, we'll do it. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, who knows? At least maybe in season three or something. I mean, we can't be the Young Baptist Podcast forever. It's going to no. feel weird if this podcast drags on long enough yeah. and we're still the Young Baptist Podcast. Our, our guests will be like, why Why are you called this? If we pick your name, you'll get the royalty. And that royalty is just being shouted out on the show that right. we picked your name. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, have, you'll make as much money as we do, which is nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we make not much at hey, all. Um, Josh, we went golfing on your birthday, man. We did. It was, it was hot that day. It was a blazing day, but we had a really good time. Yeah. For it being super hot, usually when it's super hot and I golf, I mean, in Florida at this time, it's just sweltering. Usually when it's that hot and I go golfing, I am miserable. I, like about halfway through, I'm like, why did we do this? Yeah. Why didn't we just do nine holes? Why are we doing 18? But I actually really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Partially because it was my brother, Pastor Tyler, and you. So there was a foursome and it was a really cool group of guys. Uh, also, because I played pretty well. Yeah, you're out here like, I hope to shoot under 100 and then you like spanked everybody else. <laughs> that is not true. I did not win. Well, no one was playing to win, I don't think. Pastor Tyler won. That's because he was golfing with us. <laughs> he's, he's a good golfer. He's good. Yeah. He was but shooting. I, he played with one of the church members a couple weeks ago. And through 12, he was shooting even par uh, at Signal Hill. And wow. they, they rained them out. Wow. Yeah, I'm not in any danger of that. I did have uh, a couple of pars on the front and back nine, but I'm, a, I'm pretty much a bogey golfer. So, yeah. but I have a lot of fun. I think if I got any better, I'd start getting frustrated about getting better. 
I, I mean, I wouldn't mind being better, but yeah. there's there's that like sweet spot where you're not good enough to care too much. <laughs> right. And then there's the people who are actually really super good. But golf is a fun game. I'm really glad you're you're doing it. I, you know, I've been I had been telling you, you should do it so that we can, yeah, we can do of, this together. Lots of people have been telling me that. And then it kind of just worked out. Someone gave me clubs. That was the big key is like, I wasn't going to go spend the money the on investment. clubs. Yeah, that yeah. initial investment is tough. Because it, it can be expensive. And mm-hmm. now that's the that's the downside of having clubs though is now you're looking around at like ooh, i wonder what i could upgrade to and you're talking about you're talking about lots of money if you really want to upgrade yeah you can spend tons of money there is a level of just contentment you have to have with it like hey i'm just going to enjoy yeah. these these clubs i have but it's a lot of fun to just play you know go out there you say you're a bogey golfer i'm definitely a double bogey guy <laughs> all day hey, every you're five strokes behind me when we played on your birthday that's not bad at all. Yeah, that I, was was, a good, I mean, I was really pleased with that. Yeah, that was know, a good day. Considering that was like only the third time I've played, so. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's a it's a fun game, though. You don't have to be super athletic. It does take a lot of, it's a lot of, mostly it's mental. Mm-hmm. It's like learning to get your mind right so that you, you you know, the practice swings actually happen when you actually swing. Yep. But great game. And, uh, oh, and there's a really fun story about me with golf, Josh. What's so that? I actually had a really nice set of Nike golf clubs when I was, when I graduated from high school, my parents bought it for me and I had those clubs visiting preachers would come into town when, when I was a kid and my dad pastored and they would always ask to borrow my clubs. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Because they wanted to use these really nice clubs and they were called the nice Nike sling, I believe. Uh, now this is several years back. Yeah. Cause Nike doesn't make clubs anymore. Right. And, and they were. And they were, I got them for my graduation. So that tells you, I graduated in 08. Yeah. Cause you're so old. <laughs> and I sold those clubs to buy my engagement ring for my wife. Commitment. Does that tell you something about commitment. my love for her? <laughs> That's commitment right there. We ever have a really bad fight. I'm just like, do, do you know, don't you know I sold my golf clubs because how much I love you? I Nike clubs. <laughs> and I gave them up just for you. It's like those people who say, uh. I could have been a first round draft pick in the NBA and I gave it all up to live for God. <laughs> it's like, give me a break. I had Egypt by the reins. Yeah. <laughs> give me a break. Hey, you know, uh, truth is, uh, I heard a, bit, a funny bit by Jim Gaffigan about this where he gave up being the king of England. Did you ever hear that? No. Jim Gaffigan, some of his stuff is really funny. And he has a bit about, he's like, you know, of all the things you could say to your wife when you're having a fight, none of us get to say, I could have been the king of England. Right. <laughs> king of England doesn't have to take out the trash. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Woo. Well, we're off the rails, Josh. Yeah, that's normal, though. That's okay. We have a really awesome topic today. Um, we spoke last episode about discipleship culture in the church. And man, Josh, I had a great time talking about yeah, that. Yeah, that was a good episode. And it stirred me up and, and convicted me and challenged me, um, which is always awesome. But one of the things we hinted at in that episode was how in discipleship, you can become too focused on specific elements of discipleship and neglect the rest. Yeah. You know, you can focus on, and, and that was kind of born out of that quote by Jeff Vanderstelt that says, discipleship is the mind, the heart, and the hands. Mm-hmm. To disciple, to truly disciple somebody, you're discipling all three parts of them, the head, the heart, and the hands. That's what we think and believe and feel. And that's what we, and then that's also what we do. Um, so coming from that, we, we talked a little bit about, I mentioned briefly last episode that if you just focus on the do, if you only focus on the do and not the mind and the heart, then you can, you can board, jump into legalism. 
And legalism is something we've touched on, I think, at different points in the past as like little rabbit trails on some other topic. Yeah, just like gently in passing type things. Yeah, but we've not done, really done an episode on this. No. And so we thought it'd be cool to, to follow this train of thought a little bit and talk about legalism versus license. Yeah, and I, I think we'll... I think we can provide a, a decently balanced conversation here. I just, uh, I hate when we get into conversations with legalism with people because one person says legalism is this, another person says it's that, and then the two never agree with each other. And it's just, a, truthfully, it's just a circular argument 95% of the time. And it's a giant, it just drives me insane. But I think we'll be able to provide, and who knows, we're probably biased one way or the other, but this should be pretty balanced, I would think as far as the discipleship question is concerned. Well, th- I have good news for you in two ways on this. One is I have a, a working definition of legalism that I believe is a solid one that I can back up biblically. Uh, there is no standard definition for legalism. Uh, the, the concept was first popularized, um, believe it or not, in the Puritan times. Multiple of the Puritans actually would, John Bunyan would write about what he called a legal spirit. And that kind of became the predecessor. That idea is the predecessor, the ideological predecessor to what we now call legalism. And that is focusing too much on law. Um, I heard from Paul David Tripp. He did not say this. This was the definition of legalism, but he has a quote and he uses it regularly. And I believe it is the essential, the, the, the quintessential definition for legalism. And you tell me what you think. Legalism is asking the law to do what only grace can do. Yeah, I think that's a broad enough definition that it it takes both sides of what you could define as legalism and it embraces it. Yeah, if I could just go ahead and be a little bit controversial, Josh, people who want to bicker about what legalism actually means, the reason they're probably doing it is because there are elements of their life and ministry that lean toward legalism and they want you to know that they're not, that's not what they're doing. I mean, that could be. I, mean, I, think, I, th- it is I think that's, probably true in a lot of cases you got people oh but i'm not actually if you're having to say i'm not actually technically a legalist then you probably should revisit yeah. your mentality it's in words mean things and that's important and so i think it's i think if we start with that that definition trip uses that's that's a good starting good, that's point. a good place to start and the second thing i'd say josh just to sort of introduce this is i don't believe I believe legalism and license are not specific actions. I believe they are a spirit. Legalism is a spirit. License is a spirit. It's not just one specific action. Yeah, I think they're more reactions than they are actions. They're responses to... If you really boil it down, they're responses to biblical truth. Now, whether they're truthful or not is another story, but I think they're largely just responses to what people read in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely, and and a, and a response to challenges they see out in in the world. If you're in in the in the in the, it's how they're relating to the pressures that the world and sin put on us. How do you respond to it, and what are you? What is the tool you're using to deal with it? Because the Bible way to do things is in the middle, right? That's the center. That's what we should be doing. Is what God's word teaches, and on both sides you have ditches, and the one ditch is legalism, and the other ditch is license. Now, there are those out there who says who say that legalism is only requiring works for salvation. I do not accept that because, A, the word legalism doesn't appear in the Bible. And I know that there is a, there, that's a very strong push for, for some people to, to, to narrowly define it as that. 
But I think you can see teaching against the legal spirit in scripture, and we'll get to this in the episode, but you can see teaching against the legal spirit in scripture that doesn't just apply to salvation. And so I think we have to be a little bit more broad and a little bit under, more understanding that when we're looking to the law to do something that God has ordained only grace, that, that only grace can do according to scripture, then we have that legal spirit. Yes, with legalism, I, I think it's unwise to make it an either or statement. It's kind of a both and type thing. Yeah. So I, th- I think an easy place to jump off here is we want to start with the truth. That way, when we talk about legalism, we talk about license. We're very clear on what we're saying. So first, we want to talk about law and grace. These are two biblical ideas and categories that if you understand them properly, they're ver- both very good and very important things. But if you misunderstand them, it leads to these errors that we're talking about. So first, let's talk about our relationship to God's law and what God's law is. Uh, The law basically has two functions scripturally. Now, I know it has more, but I'm going to focus on two for today's episode. Uh, The first one is to show us the behavior that God's holiness requires. So the first use of the law is to show us the behavior that God's holiness requires. When God gave the law in the Old Testament, this is what it was to do. It was to show the people of Israel how God wanted his people to behave. And that is a very positive use of God's law. Even as Christians, it's important that we have a relationship to God's law that understands it is a reminder of what God desires. It's a reminder of what pleases God in our lives. So there is no place for uh, for treating the laws if it doesn't matter, right? Or that it's a or that it's a bad thing, or that it's gone, it's done away with, right? That's not, in fact, true. Now there are ceremonial parts of the law that are done away with in the Old Testament right? The specific ways in which they would do sacrifices or have to dress to go to the temple, right? Those ceremonial aspects of the law, those are completed in the person and work of Christ because he was the one sacrifice for all. But the moral law is what we're talking about. The things that God says are holy versus the things that God says are sinful. Those things have not changed. God's mind on those things has not changed. And so what God wants for us in terms of moral behavior, what God's standard of holiness is, that has not changed. And so the, the, the first great use of the law is to remind us what God wants for us in terms of the way we should live our lives. Um, the second thing that the law does is, and this is just as important, is to show us that we cannot accomplish holiness by our strength. And this is repeated throughout the New Testament, Right. One of the primary purposes of the law, and I think if you you read the book of Romans, it details all of this. Specifically, you read uh, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. To me, that is a a masterclass on how to think about the law. Because chapters 5 deals with sin and grace, right? And then chapters 6, 7, and 8 starts talking about what sanctification looks like. And it, it talks about the law in that, meaning the law's not gone, but we are not alone able to do what God desires of us in our own strength. So one of the primary purposes of the law is to show us when you're lost, the law is what shows you your need for God. God gives us his law. And when you examine it as a lost sinner, you realize I can't do this. I never have been able to do this. And so inability is actually one of the primary purposes of the law. I'm going to read Romans chapter eight, verse three, because I think it says it perfectly. It says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, 
condemned sin in the flesh. So the law was weak. Why? Because we're weak. We're not able to attain to God's law, right? If we could obey the law, Jesus would not have had to come and die. So if we treat the law as something, as just a a checklist, and that's it, it's just something to strive for, then we're missing the gospel. And so even in church, we can use the law as a positive thing. It's a great, it's, it's a way to teach what God wants from people, but it cannot do, and this is, we're going to get to the legalism in a second. It cannot do what only grace can do. What it's there to do is A, show you what God's holiness requires of us, but also a, a way to show you your need for Jesus. It's there to show you your inability. We must realize that the law will never do what only grace can do. And uh, so it, again, uh, to put it one way, the law shows us what God's desire. It shows us what God desires of us, but it does not give us any power to do it. And that's where the law is weak. I would raise the stakes, though. It doesn't show what God desires. It shows what God requires of us. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And I think ultimately when we look at the law, especially through the lens of the Old Testament, we see the law is revealing the character of God and how great God is. So when we understand that is the ultimate standard, we realize the law cannot. All the law does is condemn. The, The law of Galatians is a schoolmaster. Yes. The law is uh, Romans 3. It shuts our mouths, you know, because it shows us yes. we and can't do it. I'm glad you mentioned Romans 3 because Romans 3, you just said that the law reveals the character of God. He actually, in talking about the law throughout there, he ends up getting to where he says, we know this verse from the Romans road, right? The five of the Romans road. He says, all have sinned and not just come short of the law of God, come short of the glory of God. And the glory of God was revealed to us in the law. Yeah, it was shown. It showed to us that this is. And the law was not everything about the holiness of God, but it was a great way to show us how holy God is. I mean, we know God is even more holy than the law. Yeah, the law only captures part of how the holy glory God is. of God. Yeah, and Jesus sort of reveals that when he comes and says, "You've heard the law says this. I say to you, you've heard the law said this. I say to you, Jesus is showing you, I'm even more holy than the law could require of you." Um, and you and we couldn't even live up to the law. Uh, there are some who who mistakenly believe that the Old Testament saints were saved by works. And m- my answer to that is the entire sacrificial system proves that incorrect. The whole sacrificial system is grace. From the garden, from the time an animal was slain in the Garden of Eden, something innocent was dying for something guilty. And that's exactly what was happening through the sacrificial system. Now, it was a lot more work than what we do today, clearly. But that was still grace. That was still people who were falling short of what the law required of them. And God instituting a substitute so that they could have reconciliation with God. So the law is, is uh, it's not a bad thing. But the law's power over us is, is the important thing. What power does the law have over us today? Um. And I think that's where you have to, we have to have a proper understanding of the law. We have to say, hey, the law is good because it shows us what God wants from us. And it always did. It was a baseline. It was a minimum. Like, hey, this is a minimum of, of human behavior. But, but, the, but, one of the, but just as important is that the law was there to show us that we could not attain to God's righteousness. And we had thousands of years to try it. <laughs> and we never were able to do it. Which brings us to grace. What is the func- What is grace? What is God's grace? And what a huge question that is, <laughs> right? Uh, another word for grace 
in Scripture is the word favor. Uh, you'll, you'll often hear grace, it's, they say it's God's riches at Christ's expense, right? It's unmerited, unearned favor. Mm-hmm. It's being lavished on with goodness that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Grace is brought into our lives by God because of his goodness and based on the completed and sacrificial work of Christ. And it's applied to our lives, both as lost people to bring us to Christ. And it's applied to our lives as Christians to keep us in Christ and to mature us in Christ. Uh, I, I would say that the grace has two major functions for the Christian. One, to show us that our shortcomings are not ultimate, that our failures are not fatal. Right? Romans 5 says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So in other words, there is grace, every shortcoming, every temptation, every sin, every need, God's grace is big enough for it. And so the the main, the, the big first function of grace in our lives is that um, our sin does not have, has it doesn't have to have power over us like that anymore. The second use for it is that it shouldn't, it doesn't have to have, um, it doesn't have to have rule over us either. So it, the other, because the other use of grace is that it supernaturally empowers us for victory over sin. Now, this is something that's hard to even, I've, I've always felt like it's hard to wrap my mind around. But Romans 6 goes into a lot of detail about this and says that, uh, he says, you know, you, you've been made free from sin. You're not under the law. You're under grace. You, and grace actually, unlike the law, grace actually gives you the power to be free from sin. God works in you supernaturally to bring you out of the bondage of sin. But he says, you can choose sin. Yes. And whoever master, whatever master you choose, you'll be that master's slave. And you can choose to serve God in grace, or you can still choose to serve sin as a slave, but you have the choice. Whereas a lost person, you didn't have the power to get out of sin on your own. But as a Christian, you have the grace of God to actually free you from those, that bondage. Uh, Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Um, so I think that second, that second function of grace is that when we're trusting in God's grace, it enables us, A, to leave failure behind and not live in it. Uh, it, it teaches us when we trust God's grace to bring our hearts into alignment with God's will. And when we abide in God's grace, it settles us in our identity, in where God's taking us, in who God's making us, and not into the past that he found us in, and not in even, even not in the present that you're living in or struggling through. You don't find your identity in that. You find your identity in what God's doing in you and who Jesus says you are. And, and our, our identity is hid in Christ, as Colossians says. So we have to understand both of those things. That's the law. And that's grace. And I've, I've tried to give a very brief, and, and I'm because of it being brief, it's very limited view of these two things. But I hope that for our purposes today sort of addresses it so that we can explore these ditches um, on, because I believe both of these ditches, Josh, are extreme views of law and extreme views of grace. I actually think, if I could rephrase that, it's an extreme view of law and a manipulation of grace. It's not an extreme view of grace. It's a changing of it. Um, they're both, they either overemphasize or they just entirely distort uh, to turn grace into something that it's not. So here we go. You, you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Legalism versus license. Here it is. Legalism 
is a hyper focus on law. A hyper focus on law. Um, it's it's looking to the law to do what only grace can do. In in a situation. So if it's a lost person, you could, there's a form of legalism that says a lost person needs to clean himself up to come to Christ. Uh, and there's a form of legalism that says a Christian needs to uh, work his way to earn his place. Or he needs to live up to a certain thing in order for it to have God's favor. You know, and, and even in some cases can can so hardly look to the law to do what only grace can do that it starts to treat every sin issue as if it can be solved with another law. It can be solved with another rule. If we were just more strict, you know, if we were just doing things more, more severely, if we just were implementing discipline more harshly, right? It, it's just always going back to the law instead of realizing that grace is the power to change. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it overvalues it it over not overvalues it um it gives it gives way too much credit to uh like our human ability yes to that's actually true. keep to actually keep the law uh it forgets at the at the most fundamental core that we are still flawed sinful people and that no matter how hard we try we'll never live up to the standard of God's glory that we see in the law whether and whether that's god's actual glory or uh god's glory that we've tried to force upon some rule that we make i think it forgets we can't actually do this yeah it does and and that's why i think it's more appealing legalism is more appealing to the pull your bootstrap pull yourself up by the bootstrap type of mentality it really is favorable toward people who've who work really hard in their life and they're very high character people and that kind of thing they think of themselves as good people they really are more tend tended to be pulled toward legalism because because that they've seen they've seen high character and rules help them in places in their life and so they think it applies here. The problem is spiritual spiritual things are different. <laughs> They're not like it's not like the flesh. And all rules, all le- if if you're if you're really looking to rules, all that can do if you do it without grace, the grace of God in your life, all you're going to end up at the end is proud because of what you did. Well, and God ultimately. D- in a sense, he doesn't ultimately call us to moralism. He calls us to holiness. And that, that's ultimately what legalism is, is just lifting up morality over true, real, heart-level holiness. Yes. Behaving is not sanctification. Now, it's part of sanctification. Yeah, san- sanctified people will behave better. Yeah. But I can't reduce sanctification to behaving well. But that's the other caveat, though, is... Okay, let's say that's true. Sanctification leads to behaving better, okay? That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to look the way that you think it should either. The The standard is the scripture, not your opinion. Yeah. And that's one of the big issues that we see, especially in the more legalistic vein, is that the standard moves. It goes from the unchanging standard of God's word to what you think God's word says in a certain way and yeah, your and own I, personal interpretation. Yeah, of you have it. an application of it that you're now taking as authoritative. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. So you remove you remove the commitment that we should have to sola scriptura and we get into, you know, I am the technically arbiter of truth and of the, the real law. Yeah, and that's the that's sort of one of the extremes that legalism can take you to. And uh, ultimately, you, if you think about it, that's true of of license as well. We'll get to that in a minute. 
Yeah, absolutely, it is. It, they're both a, a an establishment of self as an authority. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's sort of itemize this. Legalism does what? It assumes that obedience to the law is something you can do alone. It attempts to establish your worth, favor, status, or identity in your obedience. Okay. So that's what the elder son was doing in the prodigal story, right? He assumed that his status and his favor and his worth should have been more than the younger sons due to his obedience. That's the legal spirit in, in, in practice. Um, and we got to be careful in churches that we're not establishing status based on exterior markers only. Yeah, and we talked about that last episode, too. We did. We did. It strives, legalism strives to create real change in spiritual fruit, fruit just by rule following. And so it can reduce discipleship, again, like we talked about last episode, it can reduce it to just a checklist. Well, and you take the supernatural out of it. Yeah. We, oh, I'm about to get frustrated over here. <laughs> it just turns it into religion, really, doesn't it? I mean, it turns it into dry, we, dead we, religion. We're just going to sidetrack. So it's a, it's a we're, we're now a self-help unit. That's exactly what it is. We come from a, a place of uh, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. And then once you get in, it's like, now, remember how this is a relationship? Well, that's actually not true. This is a religious system. So keep up. Come on, man. Man, yeah. that's so stupid. No, we drift from the power. <laughs> he says in Galatians, how soon are you how soon are you turned away from the power from the from the from the gospel? Uh-huh. And that is exactly what it is. If you want to read a book on we're gonna to get to Galatians here in just a minute, but Galatians two, one, two, read the whole book of Galatians. And then if you if you want if you got time, read it again. You could read it all in one sitting very easily. It's a master class on this issue because you are, you're you're moving away from the power of the gospel. And turning your your environment into into self help. You want to have better marriages. You want to have better kids. You want to have a better work life. You want to make more money. Like at some point, you do turn it into, hey, just follow this list, and your life is going to be better. That's what when you divorce, when you just full focus on rule following like that. That is the culture you get, and that's the problem. Is it's the the do X Y and Z instead of because of X, you can do X Y and Z, but it all goes back to the done of the gospel that's if, if it's not rooted in the the done the do doesn't matter that was a lot of do combinations there yeah but they they uh philippians one he says he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it he he will perform it to the day of jesus christ and what legalism does is says uh he that's begun a good work in you will let you take a good whack at it until he comes and gets you and that's just not the gospel well and it's philippians 2 2 12 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then they just leave it at that. Not yes. including verse 13, that it's God that works in you to do in the will the, yep. of his good pleasure. Yep. Both the will and do of his good pleasure. Yeah. And so it, and on this note, Josh, when you're so focused, when you think spiritual fruit can be just reduced to, uh, to rule following, what happens when you encounter sin in your church? Let's get another rule out. We're going to have a rule to stop this. So it, it, it advances additional rules. When you see hard issues manifest themselves, instead of turning to the grace of God to create heart change, instead of applying the grace of God to a situation, you reach for the same tool you're using for everything else. Oh, this must have happened because we didn't have a, a strict enough rule. So let's go back to the same toolbox and let's find another rule, assuming that it's going to solve it. Here's the problem. There's always a way between the rules. 
The Pharisees were demonstrating this in Jesus's time. He was telling them, you're doing all this stuff, but you're ignoring weightier matters. What were they doing? They had all their rules and they were obeying them all, but they they were ignoring the heart. And he was letting them know, you are ignoring the heart issue and you're just focused on these rules. And so you're missing the whole thing. And when sin does surface... It's not just that you have to to make a new rule. You have to crush the person. Oh man, that brings the new rule because you, you have to make sure people understand. Yes, this is not what you do. You can't do this. Failure is not acceptable here. We're about following rules here, and they didn't. Yeah, so you have to crush them. There's no grace for that person. This is not an opportunity to experience the grace and love of God, and an, and an opportunity for them to learn and grow from it. No, we have to. We they need to be humiliated. Yeah. And sin often does humiliate us and sin does destroy us and sin does ruin everything. But if you're, if you're a born again, Christian sin ain't the end of it. Sin is not the end of you. Exactly. And it's not our job. If sin is humiliating and destructive enough, what they don't, what, what sinners need caught in sin and experiencing those consequences don't need is to come into church and have everybody dump on them and treat them like they're less than. And that is a lot of times what happens. You know, in, in, in environments like this. Well, if you want to see how you're supposed to treat sinners that have failed, you can read Luke 15 and see how the father treated both sons. And there you go. You have the illustration of how you should treat sinners that fail. Yep. He, he reaches out in love to both. Absolutely. Um, and so it, it uh, yeah, because, it, because legalism assumes that law is evidence of spiritual fruit, it rewards law abiding even where the heart is astray. So it so it's it it rewards uh, hypocrisy, even where the heart's not there. It, it will reward the behavior happening right, and it punishes falling short of rules, even where there's growth occurring. So it can really mess up an environment, and it removes. Let's be honest, it it removes the need for the Holy Spirit entirely. If if everything can be boiled down to a set of rules, we don't need the Holy Spirit. Um, everything is reduced to a rule, and therefore success is just following the rule. There's no Holy Spirit needed for that. The whole, this presence of the Holy Spirit is proof, by the way, that you will ne- that you will not always be led the same as other people. And just as an aside, um, if you've never, if eh, Christian liberty is also completely unneeded, under under a very legalistic system, what need is there for Christian liberty? We got rules for everything. Um, but I uh, wouldn't you say that they would contend true liberty is is following after the the rules of the law. I think they, yeah, they would try to claim that, but I think there's scripture that show that. It's just like the person who's exercising license would claim true liberty is doing whatever you want. Right. Yeah, they're both perversions of liberty in my, in my view. Yeah. I, I don't accept that liberty means I can do whatever I want. That's license. But I also don't accept that true liberty is the surrender of all liberty. Oh, true liberty. Like now we're just double speak. This is like 1984 George Orwell. Like we're just going to make words mean something different. Um. So a few closing thoughts that I have here on legalism. Legalism, this is just some additional thoughts here. Legalism is flawed not just for the sins it creates that aren't sin, right? Because it does do that. It burdens people with extra rules. But for the sins that it hides, right? Jesus illustrated this about, remember when he was preaching about it and he said, you've heard it, it said, don't commit adultery. And yeah. I say, when you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. He did the same thing with hatred and murder, right? You hate your brother. You've heard don't commit murder. I'm telling you, you hate your brother without a cause. You've, you've committed murder, right? Murder is wrong. But even if you don't murder, you're still in sin until you fix the heart problem, he was saying. And so legalism has this habit of hiding heart sins, covering heart sins. Um, 
So it, it, it creates sins that aren't sins because we want to prevent sins. But then it also hides certain sins. Um, this is why basing spirituality just on rules is to ignore sins that find its way around the rules. So sin is a hard issue first. And then I just mentioned this, but legalism destroys liberty. Uh, in some churches, you will never hear liberty in Christ even talked about because they don't really think there's any good reason to exercise it. You just follow the rules. Everything Functionally, they don't believe in liberty in Christ. Uh, they think, burning Prince, you should just do whatever they say in every area. And, and that is legalism. Uh, you read in Galatians 2, uh, a really great story of, of Paul confronting Peter. And he confronts Peter, not because he was enforcing rules on other people. He confronts him because he didn't want to hang out with the people who wouldn't do what he wanted to do. What he wanted them to do. Peter liked circumcision. He kind of got over it. But then when the Judaizers came back around, he was sucked back into their way of thinking because he really did prefer it. And Paul confronts him about it. And he tells them that you've forgotten the gospel, Peter. You're separating from these people over because they don't live like you do. They don't follow every rule you want them to follow. And so you're going to separate from them. Have you forgotten that they're not justified by your rules? Have you forgotten that they're not saved by your rules? They're saved by grace. You've forgotten the gospel. That's why you're doing this, Peter. And to, to anybody who struggles with this or has experienced it or whatever, I would say, don't forget the gospel. I know that everybody's not going to do things the way you want them to do. I know that there's going to be some gray areas in scripture where people are going to practice their Christian life a little differently. Don't isolate and wall off from people like that. That's forgetting the gospel. That they're saved not by following rules. They're saved by grace. Um. So problems created by legalism are plenty. Exclusion, we were just talking about that, that hyper-separatism that Peter was showing in Galatians 2. Religious bondage, you can cut people off from liberty in Christ and from their relationship with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. Uh, it can stunt growth in real spiritual fruit because it's not recognized or encouraged Yeah, because it doesn't show up on the checklist somewhere. Um, I think too, it can create that environment of secrecy and a lack of honesty and vulnerability. We've, we talked last week about this, about how hard it is to create an environment of vulnerability in churches. That's already difficult. Yeah. It's even worse when you have a very legalistic a mentality in a church it, it, because there's such a judgmentalism that's creeped in when that, when that environment's there on people, anybody who falls short of, of, of that ideal. And so, uh, whether or not they're biblical rules or not, it'll judge people and it'll crush people. And so they it'll, it'll shut them down and it'll create a, a, a bent toward secrecy when there's sin. And it'll discourage honesty and vulnerability. Yeah. So uh, license. Let's talk about license, Josh. So I, I have written here, where legalism is asking the law to do what only grace can do, license is taking what grace is and chopping it up to make it something differently entirely. So whereas I think legalism, tell me what you think about this. I think legalism is an extreme view of the law. License is an absolute perversion of grace. It's not an extreme version of grace. It's a perversion of it. It, it takes the idea of grace and liberty in Christ and turns them into something else entirely. I mean, it's just the pendulum swing. Look at how many people you see that are, that have a history of being in incredibly legalistic environments. And then when they see that that's not the the Bible way, they swing all the way over to the license, yep. to where everything goes. You can do whatever you want. You know, throw th <laughs> throw it all out the window. Go nuts. It does. It, it does. It, it does tends happen. To be, it does happen with a lot of people who grew up or who have experienced for long periods of time legalistic environments. They they swing the other way. 
Yeah, it's a real danger. I will, and I would say this with legalism, I think, sorry to backtrack, but I think that legalism is responsible for hiding many false conversions because you see people saying things like, you see people making professions of faith and then they swing, they get out from underneath their parents' roof, they get out from that environment and then they go off into the into the the world the and, darkest hole they can find and, and they disappear yeah the question then becomes okay were they truly converted or were they converted because that was the rule for your environment yeah there's a real danger probably with environments like that of create, creating little cultural christians yeah. but that don't have any real conversion in their heart which is humorous if you think about it because they would be so anti-cultural christianity in the broader scope of society. Oh, it's still cultural Christianity. And yet they're building their own. It's just a different one. Yeah. It's not broader evangelical cultural Christianity, but it's still a subculture. And it's still creating a Christian culture that may not actually convert somebody's heart. Yeah. You know, but it can look like it did because again, they're doing, they're following the rules. But yeah, the people in that environment, if they're not converted, often do run to the extreme as soon as they're able of license. Well, um, I, mean, I think even converted people do as well. They can. They exercise Christian liberty to the max. Yeah. And I, and I want to say this. I think there was a time in my life where I was, I can say this, that there was a time in my life when I was trying to exercise a little more Christian liberty in my life. And I really struggled with what I could do without being displeasing to God. My conscience had been seared, right? Like, ooh, that everything's bad. Everything's bad. And so I was working my way through what's actually allowable. What can I do and, and walk? And I was struggling to hear the spirit's voice and not other voices that I'd heard my whole life. So it was like, hey, how do you hear the spirit's voice? And it took a long time. And I'll admit this. My approach to this was to take it slow. I don't want to sit here and say that everybody should do it the way I did it. But I actually am very glad I took it slow. Yeah. Because I would, I was worried of exactly what we're about to discuss, which is running to the extreme. I was worried about just throwing the doors open because there are dangers out there. And just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's expedient. This is the other side of, of the Liberty license conversation. We're not even going to talk about discretion today. That's not even a part of the conversation. We're talking about sin versus holiness. When we talk about license, we're not going to talk about stuff that's not wise. We're just going to talk about you staying away from sin. But there are things that aren't wise eat too. doesn't mean it's sinful so I was really struggling with those boundaries. What's lawful but not expedient? What's lawful and totally fine to do? Uh, what's the Spirit's voice in my heart and mind versus just something else I've learned to accept as truth? Um, and so, yeah, we, I think you have to be careful, especially if you've been in a legalistic environment, not to rush too far to nothing. Nothing matters. It's not a big deal. Because nothing we've said should lead you to believe that sin doesn't matter. Nothing. And that's the accusation oftentimes from a more legalistic crowd is that those who believe in Christian liberty don't think, don't place enough uh, weight upon sin. That is the, for and I sure. Don't, I don't agree with that. I just no, don't agree it, with that. I'll be honest with you. I think we place a higher emphasis on sin because what, what a lot of those environments do is they elevate things to th sins that aren't sins. To me, that's a very low view of sin. And I think it's a low view of sin to have to be legalistic too, because you're actually saying you can solve sin with a rule. Well, Tell me that's not a weak sauce view of sin. If you make everything a sin 
and someone leaves that environment, then nothing's a sin. Yes, that's absolutely true. Oh, that happens all the time. Now I'm like, okay, you're telling me all this stuff that was sin and I'm realizing most of it wasn't and they end up just throwing out the baby with the bathwater mm-hmm. if they're not committed enough to go to the scripture and do their own study. Yeah, that's... It's and a, then again, you know, in those environments, nine times out of 10, I would... Well, maybe not that many, but quite a good percentage of the time, they aren't spiritually mature enough to no. study the scriptures. No, and and that's that's absolutely true. You you They run it. It's like, hey, everything was a sin. Maybe none of this is a sin. Maybe God's okay. So let's just this. go find out. So let's just go do and see what happens. Um, yeah, license. I would, but, but license is such a, it's such a, it's a, it's another extreme, and it and it takes God's grace and turns it into permi- to, to permissiveness. God's grace is not saying sin is okay. That is not what grace says. The fact that we extol grace the way we do, Josh, is proof that sin is serious. If sin's not serious, grace is not that special. Grace is only so great because sin is so wrong. It is so evil and so wicked before God. That's what makes grace so amazing. This is what this is what makes millions of people want to sing about it every week <laughs> in groups. We all get together and sing about how amazing it is. It's only because sin is so horrible. And so grace is not at all saying that sin doesn't matter. It's saying grace is actually the approach to change a sinful heart. That's the end goal of grace is to sanctify us and change us. It's to give us the power to change we were talking about before. The law can't give us the power to change. Grace gives us the power to change. Grace is grace is not permissivism. It's not... Uh, it's not, it doesn't say sin doesn't matter. You'll not find a single scripture that, that leads you to believe that. And so many references to grace, Josh, are about growth. It's about spiritual fruit. It's about living holy. It's about getting, becoming who God wants you to be. So yes, there's grace. Grace does say sin is not the end, but it doesn't say sin doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's just, it says sin matters so much, someone had to take care of it. Oh my goodness. Josh, I mean, the cross isn't the cross. Yeah, perfect example of how bad sin was. If that's not the perfect union of how great grace is and how great sin was, look at the cross. Look what Jesus had to do because of sin. Uh, and look at how much grace it took to do it. Yeah, that should give you a very high view of grace and a very strong view against sin. Both of those things. I mean, grace should help you realize my sin was so bad that I can't fix myself. Someone else had to do it for me. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, license, what are the dangers of license? License. I think the dangers are it eliminates the growth that grace can bring because it just says, oh, live in sin. It doesn't matter. Um, it just make it just turns grace into permissiveness. Uh, it correctly says that failure isn't fatal, but then it attempts to make failure comfortable. Mm, yeah. Grace is not an attempt to make failure comfortable. It's not an attempt to make sin without consequence. Um, it teaches that forgiveness from God is somehow evidence that sin isn't offensive to God. Oh, I'm saved now. I'm under grace. Sin's not offensive to God. That is not biblical. No, that is not biblical at all. It's not accurate. Um, and so, like we've said before, if you have a low view of sin, it's actually a low view of grace too. What you have is a perversion of grace and liberty. This is not the teaching of grace, and this is not the teaching of true liberty in Christ. Um, 
And by the way, uh, treating grace as le- as not serious is a mark of false teachers. Uh, you can read in Galatians where it taught. We just talked about legalism. Read Galatians on legalism. Read Jude on license. Um, he tells you there are men crept in in, Ju- in Jude. He's warning them. He's saying these dude, these guys have come in here. They've turned the grace. He tells them they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, which is just outright abject sinfulness. They've turned it into filth. They've th- turned it into dirt, into something dirty. He's saying they've. And he's saying they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes into this huge sermon in Jude about, look at what God did to the sinners in the Old Testament. Look what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah who are living in wicked sin. Look what God did to the angels who didn't keep their first estate. Look what God did to the land of Egypt after he He saved you out of it. Look at all these places. Look at all these examples of filthy, evil, wicked people who are just given to sin. And look at the judgment that it brought on them. He's reminding them, don't allow people to come into your church and treat grace as if God, as if it makes God some doormat. That you can just sin all over them. That the, that the sin that crucified your Savior is somehow just fine. It's no big deal. It's okay. It's not. It's, it's still, sin is still sinful. And grace shouldn't make sin less sinful. It should just make it, it should make sin forgivable. And so there's a lot, there's a lot to this. And we're not going to be able to cover it all today. But I just, I think this understanding what these two things are is so helpful. And there's a whole separate category for liberty. We've, 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 uh, hinted at that. Um, we've hinted at liberty because it's a it's an important topic too. Um, because it's it really dovetails with with legalism. There's a lot of places in between sin and the way some Christians need to live their life to be holy. They've got standards and rules in their life to stay holy, and there's nothing wrong with those rules. But there's space in between where God gives us liberty to behave differently. And there and by the way, grace should teach us that too. Grace should teach us to be understanding and not to, not to try to dictate what other people's lives should look like, where it's not sin. But make no mistake, this is not, liberty in Christ is not about sin. Liberty in Christ is for the places where it's not sin. Where scripture is clear, we should be clear. And so don't get trapped into either one of these ditches. Legalism, that rule, just rule culture, or license, that nothing matters. Both of these are ditches. Um, where the center is loving the law of God and what it brings and how it brought us to Christ and loving grace because it gives us the power to do what the law can never do. There it is, Clay. There it is. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you consume the content. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Baptist Pod. Check out our website, theyoungbaptistpodcast.com for more resource recommendations, our merch store, and to join our YBP community.